0: Thanks, sir. I think we do show our appreciation for everyone who read the Bible today. That's an amazing Bible reading, and because you've got an English accent, everything is correct. Um, I'm going to pray for us. Our Father in heaven, I want to thank you for this place to gather, for the word in our own language, for those who worked hard to translate and preserve it. Uh, Thank you for these men and women that we've just read about and for their faith. Father, we long to learn, to be equipped to serve you better. We long to have our hearts and our minds shaped by your word and through your spirit. So please do a mighty work in and through us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I love church. I love this church. uh, Because church is not a meeting that we go to, is it? Uh, Church is a family that you belong to. Church should never be a meeting that you go to. It should be a family that you belong to. Uh, Here at 7pm, we should be brothers and sisters in Christ. We should know each other and we should love each other. If you're here tonight as a a believer in Christ, I hope you understand that when you first understood that, that Christ died for you and Christ loved you and Christ was raised for you, when you first understood that you were forgiven by God and redeemed by God and accepted by God, I hope you understand this. It is not just about you and God. It is that you do have a personal relationship with God, but it's more than that. You belong to something much bigger called the church. And so, as I look at tonight, there are people here and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, You should have people who who walk through the the, the valleys of life with you and the mountaintops with you. You should have people who care for you and love you and support you and pray with you and encourage you because we're family. But it's more than that. You don't just belong to a family here in Kirribilli or Neutral Bay or wherever you're watching. You're part of something much bigger called God's Worldwide Church. There are people all over the world tonight who are your brothers and sisters in Christ, most of whom you will never meet until you get to glory, some of whom have sat where you've sat tonight, but they've left this church and gone to other churches, but they're still part of your family. And I love that about God's church, his Worldwide Church, that God cares about people. Because church is not about programs, it's about people. And church is not about strategies, it's about souls. And all of us here tonight, we matter to God, and we should matter to each other. Now, Paul loved people, Paul's heart just beated for people. In chapter 15 of Romans, we saw last week Paul's heart, that vertical heart where he's a minister of Christ for the glory of Christ. He's ambitious for Christ, for the gospel to go out, and he's prayerful to Christ. But in chapter 16, we get his horizontal heart, his love for people. Just listen to these these famous verses from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. How would you answer this question? For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? So he's thinking about the last day. What's going to be Paul's hope and joy and crown when he meets Jesus? And we expect him to say, oh, my crown, my glory, my joy is Jesus. He doesn't say that. He says, is it not you, you Thessalonians? You Thessalonians are our glory and our joy. That's how Paul feels about people He can't wait to get to heaven to see all these people that he's led to Christ or grown in Christ or kept in Christ because he just loves people. And God, in his wisdom, uses people to grow his kingdom and build his church. So let me ask you who are the people in your life? Who are the people in your life that you are so thankful to God for? Who are the people in your life that he used to to bring you to Christ, to grow you in Christ, to keep you in Christ? Who are the people you just want to thank God for tonight? Uh, on the screen are some people I'm thankful for. Uh, top left is Father Stuart Dunnan, an Anglo Catholic priest. He has such a reverence and awe for the majesty of God, and he cared for my soul. Uh, David Gibb, he opened his home to me, he opened the word with me. He's a dear friend in Christ. Uh, Vaughan Roberts and David Jackman, those two men took a young whippersnapper like me and just taught me how to preach and teach and to, to love people. Uh, Wally B and a pastor in Christchurch in New Zealand, he, showed, he and his wife Rosemary showed me great hospitality and they're dear friends in Christ. In the centre there are my dear friends, Steve and Jenny Reese. They're humble, hardworking working hilarious Sermons of Christ. We have such a laugh together and I love them dearly. Uh, Richard Cokin, that bold, courageous evangelist, ambitious for the kingdom. At bottom down there is Alan Sheena, Tressler. You've probably never heard of them. They're just faithfully getting on with serving Jesus in Hampstead in London and they show me real hospitality and they walked alongside me through some of the deepest, darkest valleys of my Christian life. And I love them dearly. And my dear friend and co-worker, Ed Austin, who's been like a loyal brother for me for many, many years. I love him dearly. And my wife, Rachel, fearful, compassionate, great woman of God. I'm so thankful for these people that God has placed many, many, many more. All these men, all these women that God has put alongside me and they've shaped me and they've spurred me on and they've helped me to love and serve Jesus more. So who are you thankful for? Who are the people in your life that you are thankful for? Why don't you send him a line this week and say, I'm so thankful for you. I spent some time this week looking around this church. There's some great plaques in this church. Over there is a plaque to Doreen Ogden. I'm longing to meet her. The plaque says this, In service, Martha. In spirit, Mary. Isn't that a great line? Over there is William Wager. He's got a line, a devoted worker in this church. He served the Lord faithfully in this church. At the back is Beatrice Broadbent, a great woman of God. She'll be remembered throughout the church history for somebody who served faithfully in this church. And we come tonight to Romans 16. We've got a chapter of names. And we often ignore these chapters, it's just, it's just a list of names. No, behind every name is a person. Behind every name is a person with a story and they matter and they've served Jesus and they've grown the kingdom because lists matter. It's like when you go to a speech day or a graduation ceremony and you get the program with all these list of names and your, your heart kind of groans, oh no, unless your name is on that list and then you take notice. And when you come to this chapter, you've got 33 names. Nine of these people are with Paul in Corinth, where he's writing the letter from. Twenty-four are in Rome. But they're real men and real women. And I, I don't ever imagine, they ever, ever dreamt that their names would be recorded in history. But they have been. And they've been recorded for a purpose. Because Paul wants us, and God wants us, to learn from them. These are five marks of a church. Five marks of a church. Here's the first one. The church is a diverse family. We must be diverse. In God's church, there should be diversity of race and class and gender. Uh, The Apostle Paul, who wrote this chapter, also said in Galatians 3, that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, we're all one in Christ. So when you come to Christ... Christ breaks down all those racial and class and gender differences. Or look forward to to Revelation 7, to the last day around the throne. We've got this glorious picture of people from every tribe, every nation, and every language. And there's no segregation. We're all together, praising our Lord Jesus together. And that should be the church today. The church today should reflect that diversity that God loves I have a real problem, friends, with the homogeneous church principle. You know, this is youth church, this is adult church, this is old people's church, this is Asian church, this is Caucasian church. No! No, we're together in Christ. Christ has broken down all those divisions. And we have a beautiful opportunity to express our unity amongst our diversity. There should be diversity in race. There's no Jew or Gentile. So verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, Uh, she was a Gentile, she was a a Greek single businesswoman who loved the Lord and served the Lord and and right alongside her, verse 3, is a Jewish couple, a powerhouse couple for the Lord, Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. If you know their story, they were driven out of Rome by Emperor Claudius. They met Paul in Corinth. They became believers and spent their entire lives serving Jesus. They are a Jewish Christian couple. Uh, Down in verse 7, you meet another husband and wife duo, Andronicus and Junia. My fellow Jews, says Paul, or literally my relatives. Uh, We believe they were relatives of Paul. They were in Christ, verse 7, before Paul was, so they became Christians before Paul did. And I'm sure they were praying for this family member called Saul, who seemed so opposed to the gospel. But they were Jewish Christians. and Down in verse 14, you've got a list of Gentiles. And Syncretus, Phlygon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas. All those names are Greek. And alongside them, verse 15, is a Jewish household Philo Logos, his name name means lover of the world. What a great name that is. Lover of the word. Julia, Nereus, Olympus. And my point is very simple. In the early church, Jews and Gentiles were together as one. That's the beauty of God's church. And it has been really wonderful, you know. It's been so wonderful the last 10 years to see how God has brought to our church such diversity, such racial diversity. But I do think we've still got a lot of work to do. I really do. We shouldn't just be predominantly a, a bunch of young, white, male pastors in this church. And can I say, if you're a person of color, of race, who've walked into this church, and you have felt unloved or unwelcome, I'm so, so sorry. That should not be. Because we're all one in Christ. Christ. Whatever our racial background, you are welcome here. We are one in Jesus. There's diversity of race. There's diversity of class. There's no rich or poor. There's no slave or free. I love, I love looking out at church and seeing a, a, a partner of a law firm who is praising the Lord Jesus Christ next to somebody who, who comes from Greenway Housing Commission. Because there, there's no difference there, you know. Whether you're rich or poor, you're all one in Christ. I loved our last prayer meeting watching uh, someone who was filthy rich on their knees praying alongside somebody who was receiving benefits because we're all one in Christ. I know our society segregates, but the church doesn't or shouldn't. Verse 1 again, you've got Phoebe, this wealthy businesswoman. And, and according to verse 2, she's a benefactor. So she's used her money wisely and generously for the furthers of the gospel. she supported many people in ministry. Down to verse 8. And Plietus, my dear friend and the Lord, he was a slave. He was a nobody in the eyes of the world, but he is precious to God and he's equal with the rich and the famous. Verse 9, Abanus, a city slave. We're back to the rich in verse 10, the household of Aristobulus. He is the the grandson of King Herod the Great. He lived in the royal palace, but who cares about riches? You're just a child of God. I think my favorite people in this list are, are Trophina and Trifosa, down in verse 12. I love those two women. They're two twin sisters who are aristocrats. I like to imagine them wandering around with their twin set and pearls. But they're loaded, they're absolutely loaded, but they don't have to work, but they choose to work for the Lord. And they're in this church alongside these poor slaves. There's Tertius down in verse 22. He was a slave. He was the man who scribed this letter, who wrote down this letter. How do you know he was a slave, you ask? Well, his name means third. If you were a slave, you didn't give your kids names. You gave them numbers. First, second, third, fourth. He spent his whole life being called the third. And then he met Jesus, and then he became a somebody. We meet his brother down in verse 23. He's called fourth or quartus, But no, he's part of this family of God. Now, do you see how all these class distinctions should disappear with the gospel? And again, it really saddens me when people in this church treat someone differently because they're a different class or a different background. They don't live in the same size house or drive the same car or went to the same school. You're one in Christ. It really saddens me when we treat certain ministries like age care ministries or Greenway ministries as though they're optional extras. No, they're essential ministries because we're all one in Christ. And I know we live in a very wealthy part of this world, but can I say, church, that that you are missing out, that you are missing out if you don't enrich your lives by welcoming into your life people of all different classes and all different backgrounds because you will be much richer by spending time with these people. There's diversity in race, in class and in gender. There's no male or female. We're all one in Christ. And I love the fact the first person on this list, on Paul's list, is a woman called Phoebe. Now please remember, Paul is writing to a culture that is male-dominated. So the Jewish rabbis would not speak to women. If you went to a synagogue, you would have men and women who were segregated. But along came the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus honoured women. Jesus spoke to women and ate with women. He taught women. He loved women. He invited women to be his disciples, that group of women who were there at the cross, who witnessed the empty tomb. And the Lord Jesus Christ transformed the view of women more than any other person. And so did the apostle Paul. That might shock you, but so did Paul. He honored women. He called them his fellow workers, his colleagues, his dear friends. You've got Phoebe again. Her name means bright and radiant, and she was bright and radiant. She carried the letter from Corinth to Rome. She had a wonderful ministry. She's called a deacon, a servant, a leader in the church. In verse 3, you've got Priscilla. She's mentioned seven times in Scripture, and she's always mentioned before her husband. She was the gifted teacher. In verse 6, you've got Mary, who worked very hard for you. Verse Seven, you've got Junius. Verse 12, you've got those twin sisters again, Tryphena and Tryphosa. You've got dear friend Persis, the evangelist, another woman who worked hard in the Lord. Verse 13, you've got Rufus's mother. And you get this beautiful picture of, of all these women and all these men who are working together to serve the Lord Jesus. And so I do think it's right tonight that we stop and celebrate women that we stop and honour the women of this church and the women of history who are serving so faithfully, those who are leading and teaching, those who are the evangelists and the prayers and the disciples, those who just get on with ministry behind the scenes. And you may think you're not seen, but you are seen. And the Lord sees you and the Lord honours you. And with all that's happening in our culture, in our society right now, This is a moment for the church to shine. It really is. And to say that we respect women and we honor women. And I'm very conscious we need to start a conversation this year about the gender diversity in this church. And we will, we will this year. Because church should not be just a boys' club. Never has been. It never should be. Diversity in God's church is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So please get rid of your cliques. Stop just hanging out with people who are like you or whom you like and allow the spirit to enrich your lives and grow his church through this rich diversity. That's the longest point, a diverse family. Number two, an affectionate family. We're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to be kind and caring and loving, not cold and distant and mechanical. We're supposed to be friends. I love this about this letter. I think we often think of Paul as this deep-thinking theologian. And he is. He's got a massive brain. But he's also got this warm heart for people. And in this chapter, you just see the depth of his heart, his love. He aches for people. He calls them dear friends my beloved ones. And did you spot how he knows them all by name? He doesn't say, you know, uh, greet that couple who, who live in Mossman somewhere. You know, he's a lawyer, I think, and she's a banker. They've got a couple of kids. I'll greet them and send them my love. He knows them Priscilla and Aquila, Andronicus, Junior, Mary. He knows them by name. How does he do this? How do you remember all these people's names? I reckon, you know, I reckon Paul knows their names because they're on his prayer list. I reckon he prays for them. That's how he knows them. Names are really important, aren't they? When someone calls you by name, they're communicating, I know you, I remember you, I I, I see you, I love you. I love verse 5. Greet my dear friend, Eponetus. Who was the first convert in Christ to the province, in the province of Asia? His heart is warmed when he thinks about Eponitas, that, that man that he led to Christ. Because you never forget the first person you lead to Christ, do you? Who was the first person you led to Christ? And For me, it was a man called Roger. Uh, Roger walked into my church in Oxford. He was cool, he was trendy, he was ridiculously good looking. And I'm thinking, he'll never come to Christ. But God, in his kindness, gave me the privilege of walking alongside him and leading him to Christ. Uh, That was almost 30 years ago. I emailed him this week to see how he was going. And I love that guy. I love that guy. What about Rufus' mother? I love the story of Rufus' mother. See what Paul says, verse 13? His mother has been a mother to me. I think we all need a mother in the faith, don't we? We're going to meet Rufus again this week during the Easter story. Uh, Rufus, Rufus came from Cyrene. His father was Simon of Cyrene. Remember that name? Rufus, his father, was the man who was forced to carry the cross of Christ. And through that, he became a believer. And through that, he met Paul. And Paul spent time in Simon's house and... Simon's wife, the mother mother of Rufus, became a mother for Paul. I assume she prayed for him and cared for him and supported him and offered him motherly advice and maybe a bit of home cooking. so thankful for a lady called Penny Wern. Uh, She walked alongside me as a young believer. She was like a mother in the faith to me. And then there's Timothy, verse 21. My co-worker who sends his greetings. Paul describes Timothy as a... Beloved son in the faith, they've gone through thick and thin together, they've prayed together, they've dreamed together, they've done life together, there's no one like him, he says. And again, everyone needs a Timothy in your life. But the point is this, that all these people have have a place in Paul's heart and he loves them. Verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss, he says. Embrace them. It's not that sort of awkward, stiff upper lip. Get rid of your Englishness. He's saying, give each other a big, big hug. Pre-COVID days, of course. He said, don't don't be afraid to express your feelings. When you see believers, your heart should be warmed. Church should be a place of affections. Sadly, it's been said that sometimes church is colder than the world and harder to make friends with than in the world. It is desperately sad. No one should feel unloved. No one should feel lonely. And maybe we as a church need to work harder at welcoming and including those people who are on the margin who feel unloved. And maybe you need to go home tonight and tell somebody how much you love them. Tell someone how, how thankful you are for them. I've done that this week. I've just written to people who once in this church, your Max and your Amys and your Tim and your Liz Nagy and your Bonnie and Jonathan and Alex and Dan and Tom and just told them, I miss them and I love them. Paul loved people and Paul was prepared to tell people that he loved them. And so I think it's right that I just tell you, church, that I love you. I love each one of you and I need you and you need each other. So let's be warm, let's be affectionate, let's love each other. We're diverse, we are affectionate, we are serving. And Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And if you belong to Jesus, you're not called just to sit there and to receive, you're called to give and to serve. There's nothing more beautiful in life than serving your Savior and serving other people and being other person-centered. The repeated word in this chapter is the word work, work. A worker for Christ, a worker for Christ, a servant of Christ, a helper in Christ. So again, Phoebe, verse 1. She's a deacon, she's a servant, that's what the word means. She was this this businesswoman who travelled lots, but she was never too busy to serve her church and serve the Lord. And again, I want to thank people in this church tonight. And I know that you have massively busy jobs with crazy schedules. But just thank you for the way that you still keep on serving your Saviour and serving his church. Priscilla and Aquila, verse 3. It's like every time they're mentioned in the scriptures, it seems they've got Christians in their homes. They run a home church. Verse 5, greet the church that meets at Priscilla and Aquila's house. So opening up your home for church, opening up your home for connect groups. Thank you for those people who serve the Lord in that way. I love Mary, verse 6. It says, he, she worked very hard for you. The word for work there is the word helper. She had the gift of helps. She may not have been a preacher or an evangelist or an upfront kind of person, but she's got the gift of helping, and that is a beautiful, beautiful gift. Please never think that helping is second rate. Sometimes we talk about a classroom helper at school as though they are inferior to the teacher. They're not. In the church, we need helpers, and the Lord sees you, and the Lord honors you. Verse 12, we've got Tryphena and Tryphosa, these women who worked hard for the Lord. I think they are the most ironically named women in Scripture. Their names mean dainty and delicate But they were anything but dainty and delicate. They were hard workers. They rolled up their sleeves and they got on with serving Jesus. Verse 12 again, my dear friend Persis, a traveling evangelist who worked very hard. She's the only person that worked very hard. She poured her guts out for Jesus. Friends, serving the Lord Jesus, it is hard work. It's exhausting work. It's tireless work. But it's the best work you could possibly do. That joy, that privilege of seeing people come to faith, that joy, that privilege of seeing people grow in their faith. And I'm so thankful for the way that so many of you serve this church and serve the Lord Jesus with your time and your talents and your money. But I have been praying for more William Wages or more Beatrice Broadbent, those people of history who will be known for being hard workers in God's church. And I have been praying for the next generation, our kids and our youth, and I've been praying that our kids and our youth won't see the the, uh, older generation as just pew sitters who turn up at church and do nothing, but they see you as servant-hearted, pouring out your guts for Jesus. And if that's you tonight, you may not get a plaque in church, and that's okay, And you might not get a name in Scripture, you you won't get your name in Scripture, but that's okay because your name's in the book of life. And God will see you in that last day and say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. So a, a serving church, a discerning church, because sometimes church is messy. And just like families, sometimes there's fights and there's factions and there's divisions and we implode. And sometimes people come into God's church and they are on a mission. They're on a mission to destroy and a mission to divide and to deny the gospel and to bring people down. That's why Paul says in verse 17, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out, to have your radar up for those men and women who cause division, who cause factions. And he's not talking about disputable matters here, like in chapter 14. He's talking about doctrinal error. Those people who come in amongst you and like wolves, they try and lead you astray. He says, verse 18, sorry, verse 17, keep away from them. Have nothing to do with them. Don't give them attention. Don't give them airtime. Don't let them control the narrative because they can destroy quickly and I've seen that happen. Verse 18, for such people are not serving our our Lord Christ, They're not servants of Christ, they're servants of self. They serve themselves and their own appetites. But they sound really good, verse 18. They are smooth talkers. They use scriptural language. They're very eloquent. And they flatter you. They make you feel good, but they're deceptive. They lead you astray, so watch out. Have nothing to do with them. Now be wise, church, he says, verse 19. Be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. We need to be discerning. It was Spurgeon who said discernment is not just a matter of of, of sifting right from wrong. It's a matter of sifting right from almost right. And the almost right is dangerous. So would you pray for our church? Would you pray that God would protect us? Protect us from false teachers. Protect us from division. Would you pray for protection against Satan? Because Satan wants to come in and divide. We're diverse. We are affectionate. We are serving. We are discerning. But most importantly, we're a spiritual family. We're a spiritual family because we're one in Christ. Jesus is head of this church. Jesus is the bridegroom. Jesus is the chief shepherd Jesus is the one holding on to us. That phrase comes 11 times, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Because without Jesus Christ, there is no family. Without Jesus Christ, I have nothing in common with you. As I look out at you tonight, I have nothing in common with 95% of you, except that you're in Christ. Jesus loves you, and Jesus loved me. Jesus died for you, and Jesus died for me. And that makes us family. That makes us Family. And so I hope that your goal and your desire for this church is that we would honour Jesus and magnify Jesus and that people here would walk closely with Jesus, holding on to Jesus. And I hope you want to pray for that. Pray verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. That's what you want for this church. A church that is built on Christ, honouring to Christ, magnifying Christ, glorifying the Lord Jesus. Because remember, church is not just a meeting you go to, is it? What is church? It's a family, and a family that you belong to. And I hope you feel part of this church, in all this rich diversity. I hope you love people here well and show that affection. I hope you're serving, serving God, serving each other, Be discerning, but most of all, please, please, please bring glory to Christ. I love the church. I love this church, but I love the church, the worldwide church. And I hope you do too. Let's pray. I'm going to give you a moment just to thank God for the men and women in your life. Whom the Lord has used on your spiritual journey. For the people who brought you to faith and the people who kept you in the faith and grew you in the faith, just just now in your quiet of your heart, just thank God for them. Heavenly Father, thank you for these men and women that we've just mentioned. For the impact they've had on our lives. For the way they've served you. For the way that they have shaped your kingdom. Thank you for these men and women of history that we've read about tonight. And we we long to meet them in glory. We long to see their faces. And we pray that you would raise up more and more men and women like this who will serve you who will love you, who will honor you, and will grow your kingdom. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.